everybody. Welcome back to Mad Tales. This is James Knoll, and it is Monday, June 29th, 2020, as I read this to you in Studio X in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I do not have a whole bunch of project updates for you, so we're just going to jump into this week's chapter. Today, you get to meet the third character in The Rabbit, the Jaguar, and the Snake. And since you've already met the rabbit and the jaguar, that means you get to meet the snake. And his name is General Coatl. Coatl is a member of an alien race that used to be the dominant species on Earth thousands and thousands of years ago. But once humans came along, his species went somewhat extinct, and the remnants are now allowed to exist on a parallel planet. Let's call it Planet B. And the rules of this world that I've created dictate that once your species is no longer the dominant species, you can live on this planet, Planet B, but you can't go back to Earth. There is a portal that you can take that you're not supposed to use. But basically, you just live on planet B until your species finally dies out. This chapter opens up with Coatl's people being attacked by an army of the monstrous Taquani, and that's the same monster that attacked Detective Wheeler a few weeks ago, a few chapters back. So I hope you enjoy the new theme song. This is Coatl's theme and the new chapter of The Rabbit, the Jaguar, and the Snake. This one's titled The Snake. Chihua Kawadal Kawadal, the high general of the Skatet's Imperial Army, stood upon the wall and looked out over an ocean of monsters. They swarmed the jungle and the fields, surging in from all sides, tearing up crops and houses and people, anything that got in their way. And where was his army, the warriors from the villages? He'd sent for them weeks ago, but they never came. The fact that they might have rebelled crossed his mind. It had happened before. They must have been overrun themselves. The men on the wall rained down arrow after arrow, spear after spear, but still the monsters came, ripping into the corpses of their dead brothers, using the bodies to climb higher and higher. Pour it on, he cried. More, more, more. He marched up and down the scaffold that ran the length of the north wall, rallying his men, shouting orders. When the monsters, the Tequani, piled too high, he sent the section to tip vats of boiling oil over the edge and cook the things alive. The archers in the tower would set it on fire with flaming arrows, and the beasts would retreat for a time, at least until they found another pile to mount, and another, and another. Coatl paused for a moment. He'd been in some terrible clashes before. The Tequani had attacked one of the Scottet's last outposts in the swamp and wiped out an entire regiment, and the plicks with the Tapanis had destroyed village after village, pushing them farther and farther back from the edges of the empire, reducing the once proud people to a shadow of its former self. But this, this was catastrophe. He'd never seen so many Tequani in one place. He'd never seen them so angry, so aggressive. And they kept on streaming out of the swamp in wave after wave. It was only a matter of time before the walls were completely overwhelmed. What could he use? How could he win? The adobe huts were tiny and difficult to defend. The aqueducts positioned too low to the ground. The only option was the emperor's temple. With its majestic stones and churning amber floating above the peak, the emperor could wipe out the beasts with a thought, use the amber to burn them to crisps and save his people. But he wouldn't. Maybe they could lure the monsters closer to it. Maybe the amber would react on its own. He'd never seen something like it happen before, but he needed to think of something. A 
problem was the pyramid itself. The height alone provided an advantage, but the stairs and tiered structure cut that advantage in half. The Scott Tetz engineers were not thinking of Taquani when they built it. They were thinking of men. Men couldn't jump between the different levels. Taquani could, with ease. The people, the farmers, the merchants, at least those who had survived the barbarity of the fields, had already flooded the temple's base. They were all desperately wounded, some with gashes from the talons of the monsters, some writhing on the ground, fast in the throes of infection from a sting. There was no hope for these. Beyond the walls, the eggs could take hours, days to mature. If a Taquani infected an arm or a leg, all they had to do was cut it off. But the closer to the source of the amber a man was bitten, the faster the infection spread, and the sooner the monster hatched. He saw a woman burst, and a tiny beast shoot out of her side. A farmer with a club bashed it to mush, then fell to his knees, weeping, to cradle the woman's head in his arms. Coatl suppressed the anger, forced himself to think. They needed to separate the wounded from the infected. They needed to find better weapons than clubs. He turned back to the battle, seeking out a section of men to start the process. But then a portion of the wall crumbled at the base of one of the wooden supports, and a monster's talon punctured the adobe again and again. He grabbed Nanton as he ran past. What's your name? Zulak. The general pointed at the wall where the Taquani had punched a sizable hole. Take care of that! Zulak cursed under his breath. He jumped on the ladder and shot down, his feet barely touching the wooden rungs. A hundred yards to the west, another monster climbed over the wall and fell upon the warriors there. Breach! Coatl cried. Hold firm! Hold firm! Then a beast vaulted over the wall and struck him full force, sending them both flying over the edge of the scaffold. He landed hard on his back, knocking the wind out of his lungs. The beast pounced on him, the stinger shooting out of the mouth and his chest, aiming for his eyes. With a gasp, Coatl dodged it, then pressed it away, shouting, hoping to get enough leverage to roll out from underneath it. But the monster was too strong, its massive arms too long. It slashed his chest with a thick black talon. Coatl knew he couldn't hold it off any longer, but this wasn't the first time he'd fought one of these things. He pushed both thumbs into its slitted shoulder eyes. The monster reeled back, blinded. The stinger waved in the air, fluid running from its tip. Coatl snatched his obsidian blade from his hip and slashed it in two. The beast roared, prepared to strike one last time, but just as it swung for him, a spear exploded out of his chest. Then another one, and another. Coatl rolled out of the way as it collapsed. Behind it stood Zulok and two other men, jaguar warriors, blades drawn. The wall is done, Zulok said. We have to retreat. Coatl saw it as he got to his feet. Taquani flowed over it in droves, leaping on fleeing warriors and tearing them to pieces with their talons, sinking their stingers, putting their poison. The people fled to the temple using the stairs that ran up all four sides. The archers atop the pyramid rained down more arrows, killing Taquani and humans alike. But it wasn't enough. In minutes, they would all be dead, or infected, or both. Unless... He took his death whistle from where it hung off his cotton vest and brought it to his lips. Zulak and the jaguars followed suit. It was answered by the warriors all around them. Antons, jaguars, eagles, and the people were given a moment of fleeting joy. Joy because their warriors were there to protect them. Fleeting because they knew they were outnumbered. Coatl snatched up a spear and a shield from the ground, and he and his men waded into the battle. They slashed and stabbed their way through two Taquani, unseeming one, slicing the legs off another. Two more sprang on them from behind, shredding the eagle warrior with his talons. Zulak lopped off its right arm. When it turned to sting him, he stabbed it through the mouth and ripped upwards, cutting it in two. Coatl grabbed the Makwahidal as he ran forward and threw it at the feet of a cowering farmer. You want to live? Fight! It was their only chance. If he could get as many of their people to stave off the invasion as long as possible, he could make it to the Scottet. And if he could make it to the Scottet, make him see what was happening. 
there was a chance they all might survive. All they needed to do was use the amber, use the eye. And so that's what he and the men did. They fought, they pushed forward. And when they could, they armed the people with whatever was at hand, broken spears, discarded arrows, rocks, clubs, anything. It didn't matter if it was an old man, a woman, or a child. If they could wield a weapon, they could fight. And when they came across an infected, they cut off the head or dismembered the monster's larva wherever it bulged. It worked, for a time. The beasts had not expected such vicious retaliation this late in the battle. Their lines fell back, however briefly, which was all Kowatl needed. He dashed up the temple stairs, followed close behind by Zulok. Four shorn ones stood at the emperor's door, fully armed and armored. They leveled their obsidian lances at Kowatl as he approached. Zulok took his side. Antons were known for their ferocity and bloodlust. He didn't care who or what he killed, just as long as he slaked his thirst. Shorn ones were fierce, yes, but he'd killed them before. Kowatl twirled the Makohito in his hand. We need to see the Skate. We need to see Sikakeu. One of the Shorn ones said, Kowatl, I know who you are, but we can't let you in. Your people are dying. You're next. He needs to use the amber. But he strictly forbid. I don't care what he said. Let us in. They didn't move. I'm sorry, General. Kowatl took a step forward, and the Shorn ones centered their spears on his chest. He didn't flinch. Zulak stepped up beside him, and two of the spears turned to him. The old warrior smiled grimly. A stale blast of cold air hit Kowatl in the face as he pulled open the heavy stone doors. Zulak followed behind, his grimace easily mistaken for a grin. The bodies of the guards lay in awkward positions behind them. The Skatech's chambers were darker, and it took a moment for Kowatl's eyes to adjust. Details slowly emerged from the gloom, whispers from his right where the gallery sat in the elevated stone booths. They were ancient and proud, with their bone piercings, their labrets and their gauges, their brands and their scars. The ornate headdresses, the jaguars, the eagles were the only color in the dim light. The gallery chose to be there, having existed for millennia during the brilliant apex of the Tlek, when the pyramids of the people towered high above the land and the blood of their enemies flowed from the hearts of the conquered. Now that their time was past, they receded into the shadows and became shadows themselves, offering what remained of their power to the amber eye above the temple of the Sikakeyu, the last Skatet of their kind. Sikakeyu was, in Kowatl's opinion, a mad fool, his mind and body twisted by centuries of royal inbreeding and 100 years of drinking the amber. He sat on his throne, a misshapen leg sticking out in front of him. His crooked spine forced him to lean to the left, shaping a lazy L out of his torso. His head was overlarge and bald, and his underbite gave him the appearance of one of the monstrous fish the farmers pulled out of the squeet. The bodies of the plicks taken in the last flower raid hung upside down from the ceiling, their chests open, their hearts removed. Kowatl had led the raid himself, snuck into the metal city in the middle of the night to kidnap the men for the blood debt. They had known the Tukwani were coming. The gods would feed on the sacrifice and stop the attack. It didn't work. The Skatet's personal escort stood in the four corners of the room, seven men wielding white willow staffs. They were simple poles, with typical designs and knots burned into the surface. The Huitzilo, the Auroboros, the Tachli, ending with a gold scepter shaped like two quarter moons, inside of which burned the amber itself. The men wore the traditional uniforms of the Tlek elite, jaguar suits fashioned from panther skin, and eagle warriors with bleached bone breastplates adorned with feathers. As fierce and as skilled as they were, they looked bent and crooked, pale from years of amber exposure. Kowatl felt the old queasiness rebel his stomach. His father had been an early supporter of the fluid, brought it into his own home, used it on his own family. 
He could still remember the metallic taste on his tongue and the terrible pain and nightmares that followed. None of this scared him. But the sight of the old woman, the crone, dancing a jig at the Scottette's feet, while the Scottette himself clapped and hooted with laughter, was bizarre enough to give him pause. The crone's demon, her mow, wound between her legs, delighting Sikakeu even more. A strange woman from the other side stood in the shadows. One of her sleeves had been ripped off, and the crone had branded her shoulder with her sign. As he watched, she doubled over and vomited yellow bile on the tiles. Kawadal had seen it before. She was infected, in the Scottette's presence. But why hadn't the process sped up? What had the crone done to her? Kawadal struggled to contain his anger. Seek a Kayu, he said. The Scottette didn't even look up. Ah, Kawadal. Kawadal is here. And he's brought a friend. Isn't that delightful? He addressed the gallery with the last sentence, and they whispered their response, their mouths immobile, their eyes fixed. It filtered through the air like moths. Beware! Oh, Kowadl, they do not like you. Kowadl clenched his jaw. Sikakeyu, we must speak. The tech- What's your friend's name, Kowadl? My friend? Yes, the man behind you, your Anton. What is his name? Kowadl paused. In the heat of the battle, he'd forgotten. The gallery whispered again. Insolence. Yes, I quite agree, Sikakeyu said. He pointed his finger at Kowadl, who went rigid. For this was the power of the amber. It worked through his muscles and into his bones, taking complete control. If he was smart, he wouldn't fight it. He'd seen men try before. They didn't last very long. Sikakeyu smiled bitterly. Your friend, General. What is his name? Kowadl struggled to get the words out. His jaw was locked. So, The emperor's smile was replaced by a sneer, and he hooked his finger and flexed it. Kowadl bent over. The emperor straightened his finger. Kowadl was forced erect. The emperor opened all five of his gnarled fingers, and Kowadl's arms and legs thrust out. Zulak watched, terrified. The Scottet held the general there like that for a beat, all of the muscles in his body flexed and rigid before breaking it off. Kowadl fell to his knees, Pain radiated through his bones, as if tightening the marrow itself. He felt hollowed out, violated, but he would not show any sign of weakness. He would not surrender any more of his dignity. The emperor turned to address the old woman. You see, crone, how pathetic my own people are? Here we have the great General Kowadl, hero of the incursions, such a mighty warrior, and he is unable to withstand even the slightest touch of amber. The crone forced a smile. Is it any wonder why I want to be done with this place? The emperor said. He turned back to Kowadl. Your friend's name, general? Kowadl struggled to his feet and stood there swaying. It was no use. He was too dizzy and too sick. Zulok, horrified at what he'd seen, stepped forward. Zulok, he said. I am Zulok. The emperor wouldn't even look at him. Zulok, do you know what your friend is? A snake. I have a snake in my temple. Obscenity. A snake and a crone. Short the brotherhood, you are the two greatest challenges to my power, with pardons to the gallery. Kowadl gathered his strength. Sikakeyu, I'm making the crone dance, Kowadl. Do you like it? Come, crone, dance. He twirled his finger at the old woman, who hiked up her woolen skirt and redoubled her efforts. Her mangled face was red, her black hair sweaty and matted to her forehead. Kowadl had never seen such movements before. They were strange and offensive. She danced like someone who had been touched, a kind of soft, shuffling step, at times smooth, 
At others, not so much. In every third beat, she flipped an ankle out to the side. She hummed an atonal tune under her breath, supplementing it with snippets of words. Mm-hmm-hmm. Shuffle, shuffle, flick. Where shall we gang and dine the day? Mm-hmm-hmm. Shuffle, shuffle, flick. I want there lies a new slain knight. Mm-hmm-hmm. Shuffle, shuffle, flick. And his banes are bare and his nut is white. The Mao wove between her feet again, tripping her up, nearly sending her sprawling, and Sikakeyu erupted in fresh whinnies. He signaled for Kawaddle to come forward, breaking his hold on the crone. She put her hands on her knees, heaving for breath. The strange woman in the shadows vomited again. The sick swam with squiggling Tequani larva. Kawaddle made a wide berth around it. Sikakeyu, he said, eyeing it. Oh, don't be such a baby, General. Then to the witch. My apologies, crone, for the general's rudeness. He is a beast on the battlefield, but the mere sight of vomit sends him into histronics. Scatet the Tequani. Yes, yes, of course. The crone here was just telling me how the Tequani attacked someone from her side of the door. So tragic. Scatet, they've breached the wall. They're infecting your people. A sneer crossed Sikakeyu's lips. You mean those petty farmers out there? Kawadal was struck. Petty farmers? Do you know what it's like, crone, to be the leader of a dying species? Of course you don't. You've never suffered through something like this, like I have. It would be fine if my people were in any way advanced. But they're not. They're farmers. They farm. We spent millennia putting seeds in the ground and watching them turn into plants. And the fights. So droll and tiresome. We fight each other over what? Patches of land. Titles. Perceived insults. Sikakeyu, these are your people, Kawadal said. Don't bother me with that, Sikakeyu spat. My people, my people, you cry. My people are idiots. Have you not seen the great things on the other side of the portal? I have. I have seen wonders. Why have we not taken it for ourselves? You know we can't. It's, it's what? Has anyone ever tried? But it's forbidden. A fool's argument spoken by a true fool. Oh, great Sikakeyu! the crone said. I don't wish to meddle in your affairs. I only need one small touch, you see. A small touch of the amber. Amber? He gave the woman behind her a cursory glance. For such a creature? The crone smiled up at him, revealing her brown, crooked teeth. If you please, sir, yes. Sikakeyu gestured at his leg. You know what it does. Why would you want this for her? This woman was brave and fought well. Made a meal for my demon. Demon? My, uh, my Mao. The emperor considered this. That is laudable. But she isn't one of us, is she? Surely you don't want to reward her with death. Better, sir, than what awaits her when those eggs mature. Oh, crone, you poor deluded thing. There's something else, something I found, inside her. How quaint. The crone became less fawning, less obsequious. She cursed under her breath and said, you. You remember my husband? Yes, I recall him very well. He turned me into this thing you see today. I'm not a vain person. She circled her face with her hand. Not much to be vain about. Not anymore. Please, crone. You're a lily among dandelions. The crone smiled half-heartedly. Oh, no. I'm immune to your charms. The old man cured me of that. He did me bit by bit until the only thing left was my nose. And it was a lovely one, my nose. Perfect. He saved it for the last on purpose. And that was it for me. The night he mashed my nose was the night I became what I am today. 
Oh, crone, you do tell the most marvelous tales, full of passion and imbroglio. But your husband wasn't that terrible. I knew you'd say that. You gave him what he wanted. Just a touch, as you would say. For his animations, he called them. The crone looked horrified. Sikakeyu shrugged, bored. I was intrigued by his ideas. Oh, great Sikakeyu, beware that man. He is a cheat and a liar. Working all the time with his corpses. My family, he calls them. Pa! She spat on the ground. Abominations. Monstrosities. You need not worry. He was unable to deliver, so I locked him up in my dungeon. And you think that would hold him? You'll find out soon enough. The doors to the temple shook with a heavy blow. Sikakeyu, Kawadal said. The Tequani, they're coming. The emperor smiled at him, but there was no benevolence in it. I know they are, general. I called them. His guards, his loyal jaguars, exchanged glances. Had the Scottet just said what they thought he said? Their previous calm and sternness was replaced with doubt. Two of them took tentative steps forward, willow staffs leveled. The Scottet spread out his hands, and all seven of them became rigid. He forced them to surround Kowadal and Zulok, each of whom readied their weapons. The door shook again, and Kowadal calculated rapidly. He had to escape. The main temple, rooms used by the priests to drug and prepare their sacrificial victims, were dead ends. No other exit existed except for the one through which he entered. No higher ground save the gallery, which was unreachable. The door shook again, and a crack formed in it. The crone took a step back. Sikakeyu, our time is done here. Such impudence, crone. I decide when we're done. Oh, brave Scottet, my brave and wise leader. Old Mr. Feldman was the last man to talk to me like that. I sliced off his nose and fed it to my mouth. If you don't give me a touch of the amber, I'll do you the same, but worse. All of the happiness, the teasing mirth, disappeared from Sikakeyu's face. The gallery whispered, The knife! Sikakeyu opened his mouth to speak, to denounce her, but the stone door burst inwards, the rubble cutting down two of the guards, smashing their staffs to pieces. A dozen Tequani entered the chamber. They lunged at the men, ripping limb from torso, slicing their heads from their bodies. Some jumped for the hanging plicks and sent Stinger into flesh. Sikakeyu stood up, arms splayed. My children! My babies! One headed straight for him, and he thrust his arm out, sending it flying toward one of the guards. The guard, released from his grip, tried to react in time, but he was too late. The beast landed on him, ripping his torso to shreds. His staff clattered away, and the scepter broke, leaking its amber out to hiss and spatter on the tiles. The guard next to him, also freed, turned on Sikakeyu. Not me, darling, the emperor said. He made a fist, and the man folded in on himself, bones crunching, blood spurting. His staff bounced over to the crone, resting against her foot. She snatched it up, gathered her skirts around her, and backed away, cagey. For fuck's sake, she said. The strange woman had passed out on the tiles, and the crone, seemingly unconcerned with the attack, waddled over and knelt down next to her. She bashed the scepter on the tiles and, holding the woman's head, poured a careful drop into her mouth. Then she rose, creaking, to her feet, grabbed the woman by the foot, and dragged her through the arc that led to an antechamber and the door to their world. She could see it fifty yards away, shimmering in the warm glow of the torches. Taquani cut her off and she put her fingers in the air, spitting out a curt, its torso sliced clean in two. Where do you think you're going, crone? The emperor asked. He pointed at the shimmering wall and it began to shrink. The crone huffed and puffed as she dragged the woman behind her. She wasn't going to make it. The door was shrinking too fast. She threw a look over her shoulder. Another Taquani turned the corner, sprinting for her. 
Demon ran up from behind and jumped on his shoulder. He slashed at its eye. Distracted, the thing reached up and threw him off. Then the crone stopped, pointed at it, and muttered an incantation. One of its arms swelled and burst. The creature squealed but pushed forward. The shimmering door was only twenty yards away. Fifteen. Ten. Growing smaller and smaller as she lurched along. Too small for both her and the woman to fit. She looked one more time over her shoulder. A monster fell from the ceiling and landed on Sikakeyu's mangled leg. He screamed and fell back into his throne. The shimmering door popped open wider, and she threw the woman through. Then it slammed shut, leaving only cold stone in its wake. The crone paused there, momentarily shocked. She'd missed her opening. There was no telling how long she'd have to wait for another one. Demon wound between her legs, singing to her as the monster roared, throwing itself forward closer and closer. Sikakeyu screamed in pain as the Tequani stung him again and again, putting the poison, planting its seed. He thrust his hand at it and opened his fingers wide, and the beast went rigid and its arms flew open. Then he drew his arm slowly back and flung it forward with as much force as he could muster, and the monster flew out of the temple, crashing on the stairs, its back broken. It was swarmed by its brothers as they flooded inside. The emperor thrust his fist in the direction of the crone. A hole opened up underneath her feet, and she and her mouth disappeared in it followed by the raging Taquani. He made a fist, and the stones reformed, locking them in the depths of the temple below. Kawadal picked up one of the staffs from the Skatet's guards and weighed it in his hands. He'd never used one before. It was forbidden. The Skatet's guards were noblemen, Tlatoani, bred from royal stock, chosen for their tolerance of the amber. Kawadal was royalty himself, having come from a long line of military leaders. But he was no guard. He could not withstand the effects of the amber. He never could. It was what saved him when he was a child. His mother saw what it was doing to him and forced his father to stop forcing him to take it. The Tequani surged into the chamber, an endless torrent from the fallen city, a deluge of teeth, talon, and stinger. They were so fixated on getting to Sikakeyu that they didn't see the two warriors. Not yet. Kuwadal pointed the staff at the wall over the entrance and willed the weapon to work. Energy coursed through his body, an electric thrum that started in his loins and flowed up his chest and into his arm. It was pure power. The scepter burst with a honey-colored beam, emptying all of its contents into the stones. The wall exploded and fell on a sheet. Kowadl might have misjudged its power, but Zulok had not. He yanked the general back toward one of the side apartments before the wall collapsed entirely, crushing the Taquani still streaming into the temple. It was a brave act, but futile. The amber and the guard's scepters grew low. The Taquani were too many. It was only a matter of time. The guards tightened the circle around their fallen scottet and the noose of the monsters around them cinched close. As one, they turned and thrust their scepters into the emperor's body. His stomach, his chest, his neck, his face, his body went rigid. The amber shot out of his eyes, his fingers, his mouth. It cut through his guards and severed the wall to Kwani as it fell upon the throne. The light coming from within grew brighter and hotter, engulfing everything around it, frying Tlek and beast alike, joining the thick beam of energy shooting down from the icon above the temple. The air was sucked from the chamber. There was a moment of silence. Then he exploded in a wave of amber light. Kowadl and Zulok were carried into the apartment ahead of the blast. It rocked the temple on a nuclear tide, and any man or beast directly in its path turned to ash. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Don't forget to check out LilithFilm.com, JamesKnoll.net forward slash BG, and... You can support this show for as little as $1 on Patreon.com. It's Patreon.com forward slash Mad Tales. You guys rock. I'll see you next week. Yeah.